everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beanlitz and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with me my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Last week, we had our tribute to Roger. We were so excited to uh, see him play alongside not only his greatest rival, but one of his greatest friends, Rafa Nadal, on Friday night. Um, emotions were all over the place. It was something special. I think it was what sports was what is what it, it was what it's really about was Friday night um, rare when you have rivals like them that they'll, they'll respect each other, but a lot of times not become great friends like Roger and Rafa has. And um, I'm going to ask your thoughts, Steve, because my emotions and everyone's emotions were all over the place. I think Saturday morning when people woke up, um, they were tired just emotionally. And it wasn't like anybody died, thankfully, but it, it was a lot. And it was something special to witness. And we have friends that were on site there. Blair Henley, who has been a guest on the pod and is a friend of mine. She was there and we talked about that. We were texting and said memories, memories of a lifetime for those that were there. And it was a, a special, special moment, not only in tennis, but I think in sports. Oh, no doubt about it. And the thing is that you, you think about the tributes we see Pete Sampras coming back to the U.S. Open a year later for a tribute. And Andre Agassi, after his last match at the Open and breaking down in tears in his speech, there have been some very poignant moments of players leaving the game. But what made this unique was that he was surrounded by all of the other players on both teams who had such reverence for him. So that's what made it uh, stand out. It made it an, a, 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 an entirely different kind of occasion. Not, not to mention that you saw a, a Federer fighting back the tears. And early on, I thought he might beat back the tears and it became impossible. But I thought that Jim Courier did such a great job of navigating that and giving Roger time to recapture his composure and then keep moving on and keep moving past the tears and still be able to convey a, a, his innermost thoughts. So it was, it was great. Then they went just about the right length of time and you, you got the cameras coming in on the other players and their reactions, including Rafa, who was in tears himself. So it was, it, I think it did capture the sports world. I think it really did. And, and I, 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 I have not seen the numbers, the Tennis Channel numbers for that night, but I would hope that the ratings were exceedingly high. Yeah, Labor Cup put out their like social media numbers and everything, and it was, uh, you know, out of this planet. Because um, again, like what we said, this wasn't just tennis fans tuning in. This, these were sports fans tuning in. And, you know, I think it was pretty clear, uh, especially after we saw what happened Saturday when Rafa had to leave. If this wasn't Roger's last professional match, I don't think Rafa would have been there. I mean, and Roger even said to him a few days prior, look, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to be able to play Friday night. If you can come join me, it would be special. Um, Rafa didn't get to London till like Thursday, and then he left Saturday morning. So, um, that was really special that, that Rafa and he's going through a lot of stuff. His wife um, is pregnant and they're going through some stuff right now. I think it was great that, that Rafa was uh, able to, to be there and we can talk about the match in a little bit, but uh, it was just so special. And like you said, the emotions from both of them after the match, um, the result was inconsequential. Well, David, also during what was I thought so interesting was at times that it was very intense and you could see how hard Rafa was trying. And, I and felt he felt that, the pressure, Steve. Rafa, he, I feel Rafa felt the pressure of trying to get his friend past the finish line. I really do. Yeah, um, I, 
I agree. I agree. But I think that Federer was very philosophical about it. At a certain point, you can see he said to himself, you know what? I'm playing decently. I'm playing well. This may not be vintage Federer that I'm I'm displaying out here, but I'm not embarrassed at all in how I'm playing. And so he really actually I thought he actually got more enjoyment out of the match. And, and you heard it at the changeover, Steve. That was pretty yeah. funny, both of them and that with their team members at the, right. at the changeovers talking about it. Yeah, but you, you, you know, then also out there, they both were able to laugh. I think Roger was able to get Rafa to laugh because I think that they, the, Roger probably better understood that in the end, there was, the outcome was not that important. It would have been a, a icing on the cake if they could win. But, but Rafa wanted to win for Roger. He did, but I think Roger understood that as long as he played well and they could be competitive, uh, that he wasn't going to come off that court disappointed and replaying the lost opportunities or serving at match point or anything like that. He was going to say, you know what? It worked out well. I didn't get injured. I, have, I you know, haven't played any competitive tennis since Wimbledon 2021, and I went out there and I, I gave a decent account of myself. So I think he had the right, out, uh, the right way of looking at it. And Rafa tried, but, but he, he did feel, obviously, more than he would have a few years ago, that he had to try to carry Roger to a degree. And that was a, that was a heavy load emotionally for Rafa. Oh, I could not agree more with that statement, Steve. Could not agree more with that statement. Um, so well said. I, I want to ask you, because in the Superbreaker, when they were up 9-8 and had a match point, everybody in the arena stood up. I was at home sitting on the couch with my wife, Steve. We both stood up and watched, and we were hoping they would get through. They struggled with both Roger and Roth in that Superbreaker with first serves. They did not get it a lot of first serves in and on that match oh. point, they didn't get a first serve in, but um, at nine, eight, were, were, were you thinking this was it? What was your reaction watching it? At no, I, I, I wasn't thinking it was necessarily it. I thought it was a good chance. Roger serving. Roger didn't lose his serve in the match. He had to, actually, that was maybe the best part of his game was the serve it was very reliable. And he served an ACE earlier in the, in the, in the decisive tie break. So I thought a good chance if he gets the first serve in. When he missed the first serve and he went for it, he didn't go for an ace, but he went for went for the corner and missed. And I thought, okay, then I wasn't so sure because you know they were, as you notice, they're all staying back on their second serves. This is not this is not doubles as we once knew it. And so I thought, okay, there's now it's down to 50-50 or maybe a little less. If he got the first serve in, I would have I would have felt like okay, this this could be over. But listen, you know, it was a weird, as you know, it was a strange breakers. They won three points in a row at the start, Roger and Rafa. Then they lost the next four points. It was, it was really a pendulum swinging uh, uh, match tiebreak and, and exhilarating, I think, for the fans. You never knew what was going to happen until literally the last instant. Yeah, you know, when I, when I initially brought this up in February, Steve, I didn't know the events and how everything was going to play out, obviously, but I thought it was the best way for Roger to go out. And, and looking back now from this past weekend, um, I stand by that. You know, if he played in Basel or even another Wimbledon, I think the camaraderie, and we're not even talking about Team World yet, too. I mean, Team World is part of this equation, too, and how much they appreciated Roger. Like you said it at first, being there with all the, you know, quote unquote, best players in the world um, and being there with, with Novak and Andy and then, of course, Rafa. I don't think there was a better way to go out, Steve. It was special. It really no. Was I mean, he he planned it. He 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 knew what he was doing, and it was very wide. He obviously couldn't know how how 
overcome, he'd be by emotions at the moment. But he knew that if he was surrounded by all those people and his family, you know, in London where he's won eight Wimbledon record, eight Wimbledon men's singles titles. So how, how could you find a better uh, city to depart? Uh, which, and so I think that that was all very wise on his part. And then, of course, the arena was packed and the players were, were reacted differently than they might have thought. I think they they found it more emotional than they had necessarily anticipated on both teams. So yeah. I agree with you. I don't think you could have really. Yes, he would have gotten the bathed in applause by fans wherever the farewell was, but he wouldn't yeah. have had this sense of camaraderie among the players. So in that sense, great way to go out. Yeah. And, and, you know, when team sports, when someone plays baseball and it's their last game, they have their teammates around them and they can have a similar type feeling, you know, yeah. with, with tennis and golf, it's so individualized that you have these rare, rare moments when you can do something like that. There are some team events in golf and obviously some in tennis like labor cup and, and to have that team sort of environment, Rod, you talked about Pete. Well, Pete didn't know, you know, this was his last match, but Andre, even after his ma- his last match, it was him. Right. And everyone adored him and applauded him and everything. But um, the camaraderie that that was had at this type of team event for an individual sport was 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 great. Yeah, no. And I meant in Pete's case that when he came back a year later for the ceremony, yes, that that was that was a nice farewell, too. Now, the, the other thing maybe a little comparable to this, oddly, was when Billie Jean King had this had the facility named after her, uh, out at the U.S. Open. And she and, and, and the, Chrissy was there to speak in Venus Williams and Connors and Mackinac. That was pretty remarkable, too. This collection of champions endorsing the notion that, they, that this would now become the USCA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. And they all assembled there on the court and and uh, saluted Billie Jean along with the fans. That that was maybe somewhat comparable, but I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this Federer moment in London. Uh, I, I agree 100% with you. You know, we, we can talk about some of the matches. I joked because the Demon R. Murray match, I joked, I think I put something on Twitter, like Andy Murray playing his typical three-hour match, even with a yeah. Super Breaker format. It wasn't quite three hours, but it took a long time. Yeah. And everyone yeah. was anticipating now, David, the entrance of Fadi Nadal. Yeah, quick point about that. It occurred to me watching that match that here they are playing best of three with a with a the ten point tiebreak to decide it, the match tiebreak. In the interest of moving the matches along, I don't understand, frankly, why if they're going to take that step, they don't go to no app. Because yeah, I was mar- thinking the same thing, Steve. I was thinking the yeah. same thing. I, I think if you're gonna, you're making that that's a that's a, a significant change in the scoring. Some a traditionalist. Or not? I'm, there's parts. There's a part of me that doesn't like that because I'd rather they played the third set out. But if you're going to do it, and they that that's been their formula, I think that they could shorten things even a little. It actually would be even more enticing for the fans. Hundred percent. I mean, imagine because those crucial points. And think about it. There's Murray and nothing against Andy, but they, they want people wanted to see Roger at that point, yes. and Andy yes. knew that. And yet, and Andy can't stop himself from fighting hard to try to win that match. It was a typical typically tenacious effort on his part but i i it, i really believe they should consider that for the future because i mean it, like you said i mean though there's so many big points and so many close matches then you said it'd be so enticing to see those critical deuce points be the deciding point it would be great and especially when you're playing a match tiebreak you're not playing the third set out so it's, it just goes hand in hand with that yeah. note 
And uh, I, I, I would hope they would consider that for the future because it, I, I think it would be an, I think it would be embraced by the fans. Yeah, I mean, and who knows, right? They, they, they could make the change. I mean, they can make these rules up as they go along. It's Rogers' event, so um, that's true. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on board with you on that thought. That'd be, that'd be fun. Um, so after all that happened on Friday, everyone goes to bed, and at the end of the day, it's two-two, two matches each. Team World and Team Europe tied up. We go to Saturday, and we got some good matches in the morning. Two two matches that were decided by Super Breakers. You got Matteo Berrettini beat Felix. Felix had a heck of a day on Sunday. We're going to get to that. Berrettini beats Felix, 10-7 in the Super Breaker. Fritz beats Cam Norrie, 10-8 in the third set Super Breaker. So now we're tied at 4-4 because, again, the format, Friday or one point, Saturday's two points, Sunday's three points, each match. So we're at 4-4, and then we go to the evening session. Anything you want to talk about before we get to the evening session? No, no, let's proceed. <laughs> then we get Novak, and Novak saw the ball beautifully against Francis. Novak had not played, has not played a competitive match in a while. Beats Francis Tiafoe. No, wait a minute, himself. David. David, let's be – a while is the Wimbledon final – Think about that. So he's been gone over two months and you're right. I mean, so all the way from beating Kyrgios in the Wimbledon final to this match with Francis and only practice and practice sessions and missing the U S open. And you're right. The, the ball, it, it looked like it must've been a basketball in his eyes and he was that good. And, and that not only in beating Francis one and three, and by the way, kept, he was so superior that Francis could never muster any emotions. He was so subdued. There was nothing to be encouraged about. Yeah. It was one all in the first set, and then Novak wins five games in a row. And then in the second, okay, Francis has an isolated break point, but lost his serve twice. And he just was thoroughly outplayed by a top-of-the-line Novak. And I think that uh, that, that, was, that was inspiring to see, by the way. Yeah, it was. It was good to see Novak back, obviously, and playing as well as he did in that match. It was incredible. Novak stays on for doubles, um, and he plays with Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini won earlier that day, and they beat Sock and Alex Dimonar, uh in doubles. Dimonar, uh, the, the weaker of the four players, obviously, on that court. He did not look comfortable playing doubles in that match. Um, well, you're right. I mean, think about it, because Sock wins his other two doubles matches. Now, yeah. in fairness, in fairness, I think Novak was very inspired again in the doubles, and Berrettini played surprisingly well in the doubles. So they did they did end up being a very uh, confident partnership and, and competent as well. They did a great job, but you're right. Jack just didn't get any help from Demonauer, and that, that, was, that was too too much for him. Right. So we go to bed Saturday By the way, night. And it's, a quick, a quick side, just to quickly go back to the Federer-Nadal doubles and, and the role that Jack Sock played in that match. I don't know how you felt. I felt actually for the first two sets, until we got to the decisive match tiebreak, we weren't seeing the best Jack Sock. And I thought he, you know, missed some returns and, and they, they wisely played Francis as much as they could. Yes. So it wasn't all Jack's fault. But then he came alive in the match tiebreak. He won it for them to me. No, no disrespect to Francis Diafo, but Sock really emerged in that last tiebreak and showed his class as a doubles player, made a couple of spectacular shots. In that, that one shot tiebreak. was ridiculous early yeah, in the tiebreaker when it was. Yeah. Half volley um, from no man's land for a winner and, and, and then jump for joy afterwards. But that was, then he also won it on a forehand winner, you know, that when Rafa moved. Pass Rafa. So it was like, okay. 
he really he 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 was the man in the end. But you're right in the Demon Hour match against partnered by Demon Hour against Novak and Berrettini, he just he he could not pull it off, and it was understandable why. Right. Uh, uh, agreed. So, hey, Saturday night, we all go to bed. Same old story, Steve. Team Europe over Team World, eight to four, right? So now we go to the final day. The final day, the matches are three points each. So even though you're down, you can catch up pretty quickly. And boy, did uh, the Team World catch up quickly because you start out the morning with Jack Saka, we've just been talking about, and Felix, they beat Andy Murray and Matteo Berrettini, 10 8 in the Super Breaker. Um, Team Europe struggled, I feel, with their first serve percentage in a lot of these super breakers, in a lot of the matches. They were struggling getting their first serves in. Yeah, they did. They did that. Obviously, that could have gone either way because the Team Europe won the first set easily. They crushed them in the first set, but it was a nice comeback by Team World. And the disappointment for Andy Murray losing a couple of close matches like that, I think he would really like to have contributed more. And as usually, he fought with ferocity, but it wasn't enough. And then, then, of course, that sets the stage for Felix and Novak. Yeah, so it's 8-4, you know, with these three points each match, you can catch up quickly. So they win that doubles match, and Team World's only down by a point. Felix now is set to play Novak. I was not surprised, and we saw it in the other day, um, the, the, the previous day with another player, I can't remember off the top of my head, but when you play doubles and you win and then you stay on and play singles, you're already loose and feeling good about yourself. I was not surprised that Felix came out of the shoot quick against Novak. I didn't know he would beat him in straight sets, Steve, but I wasn't uh, but, surprised at the quick start by Felix. Yes. Yes. And no though, David, because Novak was up too low. That was his, that he had the immediate break. You thought it was one of those classic Djokovic starts and he was going to roll. And then Felix wins eight of the next nine games. Yeah. Here's what I would say about that match. Felix, let's face it, we know what a great player he is. He's due to start beating some of the top players. He beats Carlos Alcaraz a week ago in the Davis Cup. Now, that was very impressive, too. Was it the best Alcaraz? I don't think so, because he's coming yeah. off winning the U.S. Open. He's tired. But still, Agreed. Felix managed to beat him. And then same thing yesterday. This was not a top-of-the-line Djokovic by any means, but, it, but Felix served beautifully and you heard the conversation at the changeover where Federer was advising Djokovic to get into backhand to backhand rallies. And Novak said, I agree 100% because they wanted to avoid Felix hitting inside out forehand winners. And he thought if Novak just hit with good depth off his backhand to Felix's, and it's temporarily, it briefly worked because he broke back in the second set right after that. But here's the thing, David. After the match, I, I, the, the commentators kept talking during the match about Novak, and you could see it. He's shaking his wrist out. And I wonder, and you didn't know if it was forearm or wrist. Then he confirmed after the match that it was his wrist, that he'd been managing it, was the word he used, all week for four or five because days. Because the previous day, there were no signs of it. I mean, he played no well. Sign. And by the way, by the way, Steve, Novak was the person who I was referring to on Saturday. He played right, right. He, he played uh, singles over Francis, and then he stayed on and won the doubles, yeah. too. So Felix no, exactly. was in the same type exactly. of pattern. But, but no, there was no sign Saturday, but it could well be that because of playing four sets like that, his first four really meaningful sets in a long time other than practice, that he jarred it, that he did something to it, you know, because there, there was no doubt that it was bothering him and that you could sort of see it in his, in his expressions, his mannerisms. It was something off there. And, and so I, I wanted to find that out because they, we kept, they kept speculating during the match. Shriver did and, 
and uh, Riley Opelka, and they were wondering, too, what it might be. And, and he did confirm that afterwards. Now, Djokovic has entered in Tel Aviv this week. Be interesting to see if he, if he plays that 250 or not. Uh, if he doesn't, it's a bad sign that the wrist is lingering. And I, I would sus- suspect he would wait and try to get a Wednesday start and hope that the wrist improves over the next couple of days. But that I thought was too bad because we saw him at his very best the day before. And then we saw him subpar yesterday. But listen, all credit to Felix because his serve was magnificent and and he was great from the backcourt. He took advantage of the fact that Novak wasn't dictating points the way he might ordinarily on his own serve. And Felix, to, to borrow it, maybe an overused phrase, he took it to him and was very aggressive and didn't miss much either. So and one I, thing to point out, one thing to point out, Steve, and we know how solid Novak is in tiebreakers, especially in clutch, clutch oh, matches. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. He made four unforced errors oh, in yeah. tiebreak, very unlike Novak. And, and like you said, it was pretty – he just wasn't right. There was something behind him. No, he wasn't him. right. And, the, and, and he was – some of those were back – routine backhands. And the, right. the camera on close up one time, he kind of looked at himself like, did I really miss that? Oh, I guess I just don't have it today because these are shots he never misses. So listen, sorry to see him not really himself, but impressed by Felix to take advantage of it. Because Felix, while Novak did make the four unforced in that breaker, Felix played a very, very smart, solid tiebreaker himself because I think he would have gotten very nervous if Novak would have escaped in that tiebreak to go to the match tiebreak to decide it all then I think Felix would have been fretting, but he, he did a nice job to close it out there. And then, of course, suddenly the whole team situation has changed dramatically. Dramatically. They were down 8-4 when we went to bed Saturday night. Team World is now up 10-8, and they could clinch it with the third match. They wouldn't even have to play the fourth match. And the third match, oh, my God, was that entertaining. Francis Tifo versus Stefano Tsitsipas. Steph wins the first set like Francis isn't even there. 6-1. Um, and think about it, David, just quickly to interject. So Francis has now played three sets of singles at this stage. <laughs> He's lost those three sets, 6-1, 6-3, 6-1. How could he be feeling about himself at that stage? You take Unbelievable. It. Yeah. 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 So they they he does get his teeth into the match. They wind up playing a tiebreaker in the second set incredible i think the final of that tiebreaker was 12 10 francis saved four match points i believe steve he saved four match points and this is where i i felt i felt for sitsipas though because i'm all credit for all credit to francis because he refused to miss on those points he was really solid he was making stefanos beat him but stefanos made some questionable decisions on one of the match points. He tried what was supposed to be a drop shot, but it, it, it totally backfired. Francis came in and eventually put away a forehand volley. And then a couple of four backhand unforced errors from Stefanos. And then on the first match point, 22 stroke rally, he just, he was waiting for, I thought for Francis to give it mm-hmm. to him. And finally Francis mm-hmm. hit a backhand down the line and forced an error out of Stefanos on the running forehand. So David, I, I look at this two ways, another clutch effort from Tiafo following up on the U.S. Open, a classic performance from him in front of a, an enervated crowd, an inspired crowd, playing to the crowd to inspire himself and finding a way to salvage a match that he had, had no right to win, you could say. And I mean that as a compliment. <clears throat> a tremendous performance from him. But conversely, 
another disappointment, another agonizing loss for Sitsipas, so many in his last couple of years, where he'll he'll just wonder how how in the end he couldn't convert. He had <clears throat> he had two of the match points on his serve, yeah. two on Francis's. And Francis didn't get a first serve in on either of his match points. So it was, I'm sure it'll be an you had to feel for Stephanos while you celebrated Francis's win and saw the reaction from McEnroe and the team members, you looked at Stephanos go over to greet his teammates, hugging them all and looking like he was about to break down in tears, feeling he had let them down. So it was one of those classic matches in that sense of one man found a way to win it and the other man on the edge of victory couldn't get across the finish line and will surely be replaying those match points for quite a while. Yeah, and it was interesting. We were just talking about the second set tiebreaker. The third set, the, the super breaker was interesting in itself. Francis goes up 8-4, and he's playing some amazing tennis. I mean, he's getting yeah. every ball, everything that Stefanos is throwing at Francis, he gets to it. It's now 8-7, and now you're like, oh, my God, is Francis going to tighten up 9-7? Yeah, eight, seven, seven. Eight, so, sorry to interrupt, but it was also Stefanos serving at 7-8. So you uh. figure if he wins these two, he's now at match point. You're right. And then he missed that inside out forehand. That was surprising because it was unforced and he maybe should have given himself a little more margin, but that killed him, I think, because he had to, that stage, he had to be back to eight all. Again, terrific poise from Tiafo to not fret about losing his big lead and then to quickly, quickly advance it again to nine, seven double match point at that stage. And he got it done in his second match point, 10-8. So Team World finally wins one of these. Uh, they, they, I felt like they, they had to or else uh, they had to eventually, or this was just going to continue to almost be a joke. I mean, but um, congratulations to Team World. Johnny Mack, the whole team was. Uh, well, David, do you think that any, was anybody more euphoric than McEnroe? I mean, <laughs> so, I, mean <laughs> I think the team members were as happy for him as they were for themselves. They knew because he's, he's really put, uh, a lot of emotional energy into this whole enterprise these last five years. It's meant a lot to him. And you see and it, it in his, you see it in the reactions in the captain's chair as when, it, you know, both the good and the bad happening to his team and the, 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 the reactions at courtside are just priceless. So and Bjorn but, during the changeovers so over, was this five since 2017 and they had one year yeah. off because of, because of the pandemic. Right. Bjorn right. doesn't say a word during the changeover. No. He doesn't well, say anything. No, he doesn't. You're right. And because he also knows that Roger sort of steps in as an unofficial captain, not only that, the other players, then they also jump in. Novak was doing some of that during Andy Murray's match the first day. It was nice to see that. It's nice that Bjorn's ego isn't caught up in the fact of feeling like he has to say something because he knows that he's got guys there to do it. I would just think every, I think over the past, whatever, five, six years, they've done this. Like you'd see him say something a little bit. I mean, it's a, ju- it's, it's funny that, that he doesn't say anything, but you would think he'd pipe in a little bit, but he just is silent on the change. No, I just think he, he tries to lead by example and by reputation. And, and yeah. he doesn't want, main thing is he, he doesn't want to get in the way. He knows he's not John. And for that matter, he's not Roger Federer in the sense that Roger is very comfortable offering that advice. And so was Novak. And by the way, Rafa did some the first day before he left. He was very it's the best. It's the, I yeah. love those changeovers. So I don't. Were, I, I like when they have, didn't go to. Uh, I like when they didn't go to commercials and they stuck there. And no, could, but they always. The 
Absolutely. But they all were stepping in. All those players, and Bjorn's well aware of that too and has no problem with it. And interestingly, by the way, as much input as John gave to his team, you still heard Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul and the others piping yeah, Jack in. Jack Sock gives advice too. It's good. Jack yeah. Sock too. So it, it's, it's, it's nice that, and McEnroe understood that, by the way. I don't think he let that bother him. He knew he was going to get more than enough opportunities to convey his advice. But, but on the other hand, those teammates knew some things that maybe he didn't. Little nuances in, in these players' games. And so fine, let them contribute. But I, I think it, it, it was striking with Bjorn more so than prior years, but didn't surprise me in the least. Got it. Now, they, they both said Bjorn and John and Johnny Mac referred to it. Um, they're going to be captains for one more year and then people are going to replace them. I think there's two obvious replacements. I have not discussed them with you, but um, I'll mention my thoughts on it. Um, who, but I want to ask you, who do you think, I mean, who do you think are the obvious replacements to replace? Well, obviously I think Federer would love to do it and, and right. then no one would have any qualms and he would be great at it. And then it's hard to say on team world, that Andy Roddick's name was brought in and Andy, I think if Andy were interested, he'd be great. He'd be terrific. Uh, and, and if, if they don't go with Andy, I don't think there is necessarily an obvious choice. He would be the most obvious and he would have the respect of the players, and he's close in age to Rogers, so it's it would make sense in in a lot of ways for Andy to take over there. He he seemed like a good candidate for Davis Cup when uh, before Marty Fish was named, and uh, it didn't happen. And I don't know the reasons why, but I think this is one he might relish. He might feel like okay, I'm going over there for a week, and I'm and he knows he he knows that they would respect him, and just like Roger his technical and tactical advice would be spot on. And they all know how much, and they know that Andy, they hear him on television. They hear him coming on tennis channel from his home usually, but offering really astute observations across the board about all the players. So I, I, I guess he would be the most obvious. I just don't know one way or another, whether he'd be interested or not. We do know Roger would be, and he's it's, it's almost inevitable with Roger. Yeah. So those are the two choices that, that, you know, most tennis fans would say I have, I threw in a wild card and it's someone um, I think you'd have to do some work convincing the person you'd have to involve this person's charitable work in some way, shape or form. But for someone who was in the limelight and, and flourished in the limelight so much during his playing days, it's kind of been quiet um, since he's retired. And again, it would take if he's interested in doing it, you'd need to involve his charitable work to really be the gravy on top, the cherry on top for him to be involved. But I think Andre would be also a good fit. I think the players would respect him. He sees the game. He knows the game, obviously, extremely well. Um, again, I think it's more of would he be interested in doing it? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I, I would prefer to see Roddick frankly, for a lot of reasons. I think Roddick maybe knows some of these guys better than Andre. Andre knows the sport the way uh, Andy does. So, yes, you're right. The big if is, would he really want to do that? It's possible. It's possible. But I would think that that Andy is more logical than Andre. Either way, either way, they're not going to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. It'll be interesting to see. And I mean, you know, we had Borg and Johnny Mack and how great was that just from a historical perspective? And we're going to most likely have Roger and then whoever it is on the team. Well, um, if it is Roddick, I mean, that'd be great, too. It's such a fun competition. Um, but they, 
just a quick thought. It's nice. One of the things that makes me happy that the team world got it yesterday is that McEnroe, is a, it would have really been almost tormenting for him to go one more year and not win it and leave the, leave the captaincy having not won once. So he has that now. So really, that's it, it, just a bonus. Whatever happens, happens next year. He can accept it. But he'll always have this one in his collection and in his, in his memories. So, and, and of course, he was such a great team player for the U.S. No matter how many histrionics there were on the court, and there were many in the tournaments and some in Davis Cup, too. Oh. Uh, he, he was always ready to represent his country and it meant a lot to him to win those all those Davis Cups. So that he now has this one in his pocket. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it because it's yeah. it's 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 well it's well deserved given what he put into the effort. Well, you know, before we leave, I'm going to I'm going to uh, give it to you for your final thoughts. But um, I'll, I'll end it with with my final thoughts, obviously, being Roger and Rafa and seeing the images about them really being emotional. Um, it was something that in sports, you don't see that often. And it was, it, it was, it was awesome. It, it was just special to see and, and how they uh, respect each other, even before the friendship really flourished, um, how they respected the, each other from the outset, just on the tennis court itself. And then how the friendship developed from there and to see, uh, to see Friday night was, was special. No, it was. I, I would take it a step further, though. I would say, yes, that was, that was maybe the most poignant thing, the, the interaction on the court, the reaction of Rafa to Roger's speech uh, later. But I was equally taken by the affection shown by all of the players, some of whom were not as close to him. I, you, could, you could read Novak's expressions and how touched he was. You could see it on everybody's faces and you could hear it in, in some of the interviews that they did later, too. But when the camera would come in on all the other players and you heard Barrettini talk about it, Roger was the reason he became a player. So you hear all that. And, and to me, that was just as important as the one component there with Rafa and Roger, because they've had this this uh, remarkable history together and one of the great rivalries in, in the history of the sport and 40 matches. and. We think of all that and all the major finals they played and the respect they had for each other. And it was, it was nice that Rafa could be a part of that here. But I thought it was really all of those players. And even those from, from the younger generation now, you, you can see it in, in the likes of Tiafo and Jack Sock and all the others. And they're much younger than Roger. Uh, it's not like Rafa and Novak were five and six years younger. There, there's a wider gap, but no, no gap in terms of their appreciation of, Federer, and that's what really came through to me. And of course, the fans. We knew the fans. The fans have been with him every step of the way. I don't think any player, and I don't want to say that Roger's spoiled because he didn't do anything. He didn't solicit this kind of affection. But I don't, I've never seen a player from beginning to end of his career, certainly from the point where he won his first Wimbledon in 03, right to the end, who had such universal crowd support everywhere he played at every single stage of his career, David. It didn't matter whether it was the dominant days from 04 to 07 or much later when he was fighting off Rafa and Novak, but they were always with him in every corner of the globe. I've, I've never seen anything quite like that. I also want to give 
a shout out to to the way Novak handled everything this weekend too. And I know you agree with this, but I mean, it was pretty clear that if Roger was going to play, he was going to play doubles with Rafa and, you know, Roger and Rafa were going to get more of the, the fanfare of, especially that, that Friday and the whole weekend um, because of, of, of the Roger Rafa relationship. I thought Novak handled himself uh, like, like the champ he is. He handled himself tremendously because he was not, um, the the showcase of this event as far yeah. as all the uh, all the events with Roger and I think the three of them you know you got these crazy fans out there and say Novak's better than Roger he's got to go Rafa better than Rafa it's all nonsense the three of them handled themselves uh, beautifully beautifully and it, it, no, it wasn't but- probably as easy for Novak because he wasn't part of the 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 show as far as Friday night went um, but but he he. It, it was just a great event. The whole thing was great. No, but it's an important point you're making. And it, it's, it's, it's another example, like you bring it up and you know how much admiration I have for Djokovic in so many ways, but it should be talked about more. I mean, when people talk, I understand that Novak is maybe a little more complicated than Roger or Rafa, you know, he'll smash rackets. There's, things will happen. He's very emotional. But he has been such a credit to the game in so many ways. And this was a perfect example. He accepted the fact that he was not really front and center. Sure, he was going to get the cheering playing for Team Europe when he went out on the court. But otherwise, he wasn't the central character. here. He wasn't the central player. And it was all about Roger. And he and Roger were not close. They were respectful, but they were not as close as Rafa and Roger were. And so, yes, I think it, 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 it's another example of his character and dignity, the way he handled everything, including his own uh, defeat yesterday. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he, I, I, we'll never know how bad the wrist was, but there was never a thought of quitting. There was never a thought of, and you didn't see him whining or anything like that. It was, it was all handled beautifully on his part. And he, I think he really was genuinely happy to be there for the end of, of a great rival's career. And uh, I, I think that was terrific. Yes, we'll end it there because I think that last sentence that you just say was was said perfectly. Uh, it's a, a Friday night I will not forget, Steve. Um, I won't forget it. It, it was a, it was just a fantastic moment in sports that will live on for for the, my whole life. I can say that, and I'm sure for your whole life as well. It was special. And Steve, thank you so much for for. Um, recapping it with me it was it was one it was one for the for the books thanks david i enjoyed it enjoy enjoy the recollections and really frankly enjoy the entire thanks so much thank you